0: What's up? This is Questlove with the Legendary Roots Crew, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Uh, showing love to one of my favorite projects ever. One of my favorite bands ever. In 1985, this is all I listen to. It's one of the most perfect albums ever made. The family is beyond amazing to me. I mean, I, I just consider it an honor just to know them. And um, I'm so glad that they have reformed as F Deluxe and will continue
1: to make smart, funky, amazing music for the future
0: and beyond. Beyond, beyond, and beyond.
2: Before we get started here, do me a favor wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe. Give us a rating, and if you have time and you like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donny Osmond, and few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey everybody, St. Paul here. Welcome to episode 22 of Music on the Run. We're already starting here, Uh, and we're, of course, broadcasting from the Peterson family basement once again. Lots of rehearsals and hangs have been done or accomplished, shall we say, in this basement. My next guests have been together for exactly 35 years. We're having an anniversary right now. The original record is one of uh, the favorite records of so many different people like Questlove, D'Angelo, Damn Funk, and it comes out of Paisley Park Records. They had a top 10 R&B hit called Screams of Passion. Of course, they had the classic funk, high fashion, and mutiny, and they were the first band to record Nothing Compares to You. Please welcome my friends Susanna Melvoin, Eric Leeds, Jellybean Johnson, the family, also known as F Deluxe. What's going on, my family? I miss you guys. (laughs) Hey, big bro. How are you? So, Suze, you're in L.A., yeah? Aren't you? Aren't you part of that band?
3: your intro because like it's our band
2: i know i'm part of the band yeah but i'm oh. i'm interviewing <laughs> you you were part of the band <laughs> you were you yeah. yeah. part of the band again. i didn't leave i got fired this time right
3: make, make up your mind <laughs> make up your mind
2: buddy yeah, i'm sorry it's uh susanna house la i know you guys have got fires out there and covid and you've got kids going to college and
3: I've got I've got it all kind of happening at once. It's like I'm ten minutes from a thirty thousand acre raging fire. Man. So it's so bad. The weather has been I mean, nothing under a hundred and two for two weeks. Some days it was a hundred and nine, no hundred and eleven. And all the fires that are close by so the air is toxic and weird. And then, you know, two two kids, one of them doing remote learning and having to navigate that. And the other one actually is taking some time this year, a gap year from college and doing all of her artwork and stuff, which is fine. But we've been hunkering down and it's been, you know, it's been a really, really weird time. You know, we not to bring it down, but you know, with all of it and then having this pandemic and losing my mom to it and then having Mm. to sort of feel your way through and also be, try and be creative and try and do what you can while you're home. It's really, um, it's been a journey, no doubt.
2: Pete, how are you handling uh, staying at home? You're the road dog here. Yeah. Are you, what are you, are you surviving? Are you crawling out of your skin? It's, it's been crazy, man. The only thing getting me through this is prayer and exercise,
0: you know. So I do like three-hour bike rides every day and, and uh, you know, just try to navigate you know there's some things I play you know a gig every once in a while and stuff but it's been hard man you know me baby, I'm out every night I was out every night and those days are d- different <laughs> yeah so.
2: right right yeah what a, What about you uh, Eric this is kind of this. Is, is this a change for you or not not much at all it gives me an
4: excuse not to have to spend time with anybody which I don't <laughs> like doing <story. laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: oh, so well, I set him up for that. <laughs> Perfect cover for me.
2: No. Oh my God. No. <laughs> Thirty-five years. How can that be?
0: Wow, it went.
2: We've been through it, y'all. <laughs> well, wait. I got to show the the people. There's the record, right above my head there. And a few yeah. singles, and of course, I've got down the line that you can't see. I've uh, we've got F Deluxe represented as well. So. It's a hell of a history that we have. I thought it would be very cool for us to reminisce a little bit, be fun for our fans, be fun for new fans with music on the run, just to kind of take a little look back at uh, what we did 35 years ago and leading up to, to now, of course. Susanna, let me start with you. Okay. How, are, how are you approached? Oh, who's the kitty, by the way? I know. There's my I- let me ask the kitty a question. <laughs> how, are you, how are you approached about joining the family?
3: Um, I'm trying to figure out a, a short way of saying this, but when the time disbanded, um, and Jellybean, this is your direct experience with you. Paul, you
5: admitted, well, we're in the fall, yeah.
3: well, and then that this period in like 19, let's say 19, early 85 and um, all these fantastic musicians. And Prince felt at that point, um, what what can I do with these great players? And there were all of these sort of uh, uh, essential players that he would, you know, like Eric and myself, who were in the peripheral. He he just sort of thought. Everyone was. Let me put it. I'm trying. It's a little confusing because I have the image in my head of what had happened, but is it, it? Everyone was in this one particular place rehearsing. If you remember, Jelly Bean, like that big rehearsal yeah, space that the big rehearsal had.
0: space, a flying cloud off Flying Cloud Road. Yeah.
3: Right. You guys were on one end of the set, one end of the, the building, and we yeah. were together. And yeah, yeah. Then it was like Morris left. Morris is gone. Yeah. Yeah. Gone. everybody's out. they want out. no one wants to be yeah. there really contentious. but there were all of these other players that were there and we were like, we all want to play And Prince felt like I think at the time he felt there, you know a, a bit of a responsibility to keep the train moving and then also it was like this great opportunity to use these I mean he, there was Paul, there was Bean and then yeah. there. Was Myself and I was involved with him at the time as well.
5: Right.
3: Let's put this project through yeah. this thing. And he wanted to call it like this is part, this is our extended family. And it felt right to call it the family and put this band together to res, n- not resurrect, but sort of reimagine this musical uh, vision he had. And if it wasn't going to be the time, it, it could be these these great players and musicians, and it was kind of a brilliant move on his part. We all wanted to work, we all wanted to be creative, um, and I think that it was uh, you know I remember him saying you know specifically saying, "Well, let's put a band together. Let's call it a Family." I think it's it's like let's put it together. He said, "You're for it?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm up for it."
2: well you you had a different thing Bean and I were in the thick of the whole disbanding of the time but you were coming at it from a different angle because you were involved with him how did the, I'm just curious of how he he just felt like he wanted to be a caretaker and keep the ball rolling so you you saw that side of him and we didn't we didn't see the pre-planning portion of that we just saw the announcement you know he's <laughs> did right I mean we were there for the reveal and that's it we didn't hear what was yeah, going on in his mind?
5: Yeah.
3: <laughs> right. Well, there's there's a personality, you know. So you guys got a different personality, and I'm sure that there was a bit of too. He didn't want to be as though there was anything vulnerable about the situation. God forbid. Um, I mean, the time is breaking up his, you know, beloved time. Like this was, you know, his childhood band that he got to really, you know go deep with a part of himself and that was disbanding and all of his brothers were leaving right. and you know you weren't going to see that vulnerable side of him he was going to just put his big boy pants on if that was you know not not that he would ever see it that way but you know he was like "Let's you know there's all these great musicians we're going to use we're going to use that and we're going to you know reimagine it
2: eric how are you how, were you, how did you get notified? I know your brother, Alan, was in the fold, obviously, but did he just call you on the phone and say, hey?
4: Yeah, that was basically it. You know, I, mean, um, I was living in Atlanta, um, not really doing too much. I had left Pittsburgh, where most of my career had been based since the beginning, really. Um, and Alan called and just said uh, he's putting this new band together. And he wants a saxophone in And my response was, I don't think so.
5: <laughs> <Come on. laughs> of course, I mean,
4: you, you know, what, 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 what's the music going to be? Look, you have to understand something. I was not into Prince. Right. Other than a few of his songs that I may have heard and liked. But I had one album of his, didn't much care for it, other than a, maybe one song. Um... There was nothing about the idea of it that had any interest to me, basically, other than the fact that finally I realized, you know something, I need a gig. Yeah. And I had no illusions or expectations about what it was going to be. Uh, I came up to Minneapolis, basically, to do a recording session. And for me, that might have been the sum, the complete sum total of it. Um, Alan had told me that he... Alan had played for Prince some recordings of mine you know probably my my band in Pittsburgh or whatever and Prince was sufficiently impressed to say let's bring him up here to do the session but to whatever degree Prince heard something that he thought might be of value that didn't guarantee that once we got in the studio that anything was going to really work you know I mean you know I could have gone in there he might have said to me said Erica thank you so much for coming I don't think this is what i'm looking for or by the same token i i was there to just do a recording session for the guy do it and 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 get paid and at the end of that if it wasn't something that i particularly was interested in continuing i would have gone back to atlanta that would have been that um right fortunately we we both enjoyed the afternoon um but you have to understand my my involvement was completely incremental because once i did that session I stuck around to hang out with Alan, and mainly because I had family here. My mother was from St. Paul, and I had aunts and uncles and cousins that lived here that I hadn't seen in a long time. So I came up here more to see them than, right. you know, it was like, I'm coming to come up here. They're going to pay me to come up so I can spend some time with my family. And, oh, yeah, I'm going to do a recording session with this guy, and I'll get paid for it. And Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was basically the I, you know, I had no expectations, illusions. And also I I did have enough understanding from Alan's involvement that this was a guy that can change his mind like we change underwear. Right. Of course. Yeah, you know. Of so course. whatever whatever degree and, and this was just as Purple Rain was coming out. So I mean yeah. he had bigger fish to fry, you know. Um and, and I think Alan had already told me that the likelihood if this project was actually going to come to fruition, that it could be much, as, as much of a, a year yeah. Yeah. before it was ever going to be released. Yeah. And right. I'm thinking, well, that's a year that he can completely lose interest in this and doesn't just move on. So I had you know, I wasn't going kind to of,
2: I was just going to see where this went. Right And it went: <laughs> So you came in as a session musician at first yeah. as you said, incrementally. Yeah. Bean, now, uh, by the way, uh, we have a person on the line. Now, don't go anywhere. Uh, I'm speaking, speaking to the person who's, who's going to come gonna in as, as a guest. guest. I've hidden where he is and, and who he is from you guys. It's going to be a surprise. But just uh, that person, please hang on. Bean, so you and I are sitting in this circle. This is what I remember. In the warehouse. Do you remember us sitting around when, that, when everybody had left and, and Prince came in and he said... You know, he, he told us about the family. Do you recall that at all? Kind
0: of. I, I I know he was impressed with, you know, if you, being an 18 year old kid and you had a nice voice. He had heard you singing on the piano or something. And it was something about you that he liked.
2: So. Not you know. for long,
4: though.
2: Maybe it's that plaid yeah.
4: jacket you're wearing. Maybe
2: that's what, maybe like. maybe that's what it is. Hey, was. I put a suit on sort of for you. And wait, Bean, be nice. I'm wearing you. Do you see see that? Yeah, I see that. Okay, all right. I'm representing you here. Oh, so I re- here's what I remember: you and I sitting in the warehouse in Eden Prairie, sitting around in a circle, and Prince said, "Okay, everybody left. Morris is gone. Chessy's gone. Yeah. yeah, what do you guys want to do? I'm going to form a new band." And I'm paraphrasing and trying to, you know, go into my brain. To, uh, to recall this but as I remember it he said I got a new band and I want you to be the singer in it. and he pointed at me yeah, and wh- yeah. whomever didn't want to do it that's cool go your own way yeah. and I think Jerry Hubbard was in that meeting and he ended up going with, with Jesse, Jesse. Yeah, and then just, and yeah. that was the first time I was notified about that mm-hmm. is that does that sound that's, that's, do you remember that's any of much. that yeah okay now I'm going to bring in a couple of guests because I want to move into the recording process of the family. David, you want to let these folks in? And I—I I don't know if you—you'll uh, uh, recognize them. Here comes one, Mr. Brent Fisher. Hey there, son, son of Claire Fisher, who did all the great string arrangements on the Family record and many more. Hey guys. Hey Brent.
5: Hey How are you?
2: And let's wow. get. Oh, we got one more guy coming in. Except for oh, boy, that's the best you ever looked, David. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll David Z, it's Z my, it's my
1: new, it's my ceiling look. Got two other people. Oh,
2: wow, boy, your plastic surgeon. We need to talk to your plastic surgeon. You look just like a ceiling fan.
1: Yeah, uh, I really tried to do that. It was perfect.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. Welcome, <laughs> welcome, <laughs> gentlemen.
1: Oh hey, my God, David Rifkin. Hey, That's right. What's up, man? Long time. I know it's been a hell of a long time. Yeah.
2: I Thanks for coming on, you guys. This is unbelievable. Well, we were, we were just hashing out, uh, you know, how we the family came to be and what we were recalling about it. And I thought it'd be fun to to go into the recording process of that. Let me start with you, David. Uh, you had worked with Prince prior to this, correct? Oh, yeah.
1: I did the demos that got him signed to Warner Brothers. I did uh, Purple Rain. I did Kiss. Well, that was before this, uh, after this. But, uh, yeah, I've done a lot of stuff with him.
2: So... Was this one of the first times where he said, I've got this group, I've written these songs, I've recorded these songs, and then he said, why don't you take it from here? Was he... That was even letting go of the reins, so to speak, at least in my opinion he was. I'm sure you guys may have a different view on that, but you took the reins, for, I remember, for, of course, for doing my vocals.
1: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've, I've been involved in a lot of different ways with Prince for a long time. I, I recorded and edited a lot of the time records, the first okay. ones, and... Um, as I said, I did his demos. I I recorded "Purple Rain" in the truck. Um, so I have been involved on and off with him. I never really, never really worked for him. I was just working with him. He would call me for, you know, whatever reason. I never answered to his uh, paychecks, <laughs> which yeah, was I good. It. I didn't. I didn't have to be under any kind of control. It was great. And,
2: uh, David, what do you recall about recording that record? The,
1: the, the family record actually came about one day. He said, I'm going to include everybody's relative because it was Alan Leeds brother. my brother. Bobby was on it. Uh, yep. You were on it because, yep. you know, you're one of our family. So, uh, yep. it, uh, it was a relative and Wendy's sister, Susanna. I mean, everybody was related. I think Jerome is a cousin to, to uh, G- Terry Lewis, right? Yeah. Brother. 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 Hey, Susanna. <laughs> um, yeah, everybody was related. They were a brother or a cousin or a sister. Or, and that's why he wanted to call it the family because it was the family, literally. I mean, he. I didn't never the title play, would have been incest. <laughs> well, yeah, we won't talk about that. <laughs> that was a perfect time to talk and, about that. You know, and Joe, uh, everyone's with somebody to somebody. Yeah. And uh, everybody was somebody, somebody.
2: Everybody, somebody uh, yeah. to <laughs> someone.
1: Well, he had a song like that, too. Want to be somebody, somebody.
2: So, So I remember you, David coming in. Here's, here's, here's what I remember. I remember you calling me on the phone. You Somebody would be sending me work tapes at home and most of the record was done uh, musically speaking. He, he and uh,
1: shit, I'm sorry. I gotta plug in my phone here. He and Susan Rogers had done all the tracking and uh, I, I'm going to have to put this down for one second. He and Susan Rogers had done the tracking. I did some of it. And the instrumentals parts of it were done. It is it is lead vocals, and um, he wanted me to get you guys to sing exactly what he was singing. Right. So uh, anyway, um, <laughs> he wanted it exactly exactly. I mean,
0: right. Yeah, he did. Yeah.
1: To the to the syllable, and. You knew I no, could do that. Difficult. What the hell happened here? Are you seeing me still? Yeah, yeah we got I can you. See you but lost, we lost Jelly Bean. We lost Jelly yeah. Bean. bean. Okay, okay, there we go. Anyway, I was, I was in charge of putting your vocals exactly the way they should be. Right. Both of you, Susanna and Paul. And um, it was a very belaboring, uh, it was very hard to do because you know, he's a great singer and he's phrasing was, you know, spot on. So we had to imitate his his style of speech and his phrases and his endings of words were very important. Um, we spent a lot of time on the very ends of words, because the way they twist up and down are, are extremely important um, in melody. And You know, I remember the first day of fall coming in and uh, we started on the first song and I I remember a couple hours you were talking to Julie, your wife, and said, yeah, I'll be done in a couple hours. (laughs) (laughs) And I went, "Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) I had no idea, man. You're not done yet. No, I'm still not done. I did. I had an idea because it was very, you know, exacting work and Jellybean was sitting right next to me the whole time, the whole time. And we were actually, it was, it was a different challenge because it wasn't really a recording studio. It was a warehouse. Mm-hmm. Right. And we had, to we had, we had no speakers, no control room. We had a monitor on headphones and, um, that's the way we did the whole record the drums were put farther in the room and um you know the singers had no real vocal space they had to stand out we had to move things around so it didn't sound like you were in a warehouse right
3: uh, my vocal was the only one that was done at sunset sound right
1: we did some of yours at sunset sound yes but uh you were you were in the warehouse too right Mm -hmm.
3: I don't think I did any. Oh, we
1: did Years at Sunset Sound. That's how far back it is. I don't hardly remember. Yeah. But, um, yeah. You know, he would come in and, uh, or we'd play it back for him and he'd go, no, you got to do it like this. And we'd have to repeat and punch in. Those were tape days, so there was no smooth editing. It was punching in on tape. And we had to punch in. Words and syllables and endings, and it was very hard to do. Um,
6: yeah, because there was yeah. a little bit of a delay, right? You, you, you couldn't you couldn't just start singing right after you punch, and you had to wait maybe a quarter well, of a I second. I was
1: I always made I always made him sing the line before, so it didn't sound like there was an interruption or that you started up right away. Right, he sang a lot, the line before I could punch anywhere, and it would you know, hopefully overlap. Right. So I, I think I witnessed about five or 10 minutes of that. When I and that, know,
2: was that was enough was for you, I bet. bet.
4: Oh yeah. It was like, um, <laughs> I think you guys got this completely under control.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, going back to Georgia.
2: <laughs> yeah. David was Prince breathing down your neck at that point, uh, uh, about the performances was, was Prince breathing down your neck, to get it perfect, or was he leaving you alone? he was leaving us alone I remember maybe two or three sessions he came in just to kind of hang out, yeah, and he was letting you do the whole thing
1: yeah he uh That's he gave us brains on that, and that was you know same thing with uh, Claire Fisher. I went out and um I mean, first of all, I had never recorded orchestra before, so I didn't know what I was doing. I depended on Arnie Frager and Brett to to, Brent to, uh, to get that part of it. But I was a witness; it was great. And but I was also the supervisor, and I had to. I had Do you to, remember you know,
6: which studio?
1: It was a studio in Glendale, I think.
3: That's oh, exactly right. Yeah. With the
1: orchestra.
3: I think we had a seventy. What's that? The seventy-piece orchestra. That was the Glendale Studios. I can't remember that studio. You used your dad used it uh, often.
1: Right? Yeah, that was Arnie Frager had the studio. I don't know what the name of it was. Okay. But um. Yeah. It was it was basically a good orch- a studio for orchestra. So, because
6: I remember That's we cool. did a lot of we did a lot of stuff at O Henry in Burbank and uh, Martin Sound in Alhambra. There were also some sessions at Capitol um, in Hollywood. And um, I think O Henry rings a bell, and that might have been yeah. a, that okay. might have been. A, I thought it was Glendale.
5: I thought it was Glendale
3: too. I'm pretty sure it was.
6: It could be. Yeah, it could be, because I, I know we did some stuff at studios in Glendale. I just can't, 35 years ago. Sorry, I can't remember the names. Right.
5: <laughs>
2: I know. And that's why we're doing this, so we can attempt to set the record straight and remember what we can now. Yeah. yeah. Jellybean, yeah. Jellybean, what do you remember about those sessions? And I, I, David touched on it a little bit. I remember you being right by his side when we were doing those vocals. He, David would would be you're sharp there, Paul. And you'd be like, yep, you're sharp, Paulie. <laughs> yep. Well, I, I, I remember that like crazy. Yeah. yeah he had to make, but it, had to make it was sure. great. It was great for me because I learned a lot of stuff
0: from David. So when I, start, when I started producing my own, you know, pro- uh, records and stuff and different artists, I, I remembered that watching him do that. You know, so that you know between that and then what you know my experiences with with Terry Jim and Terry doing vocals, with I sat next to Prince when he was doing stuff. So I remember all that and the sharpness and, uh, That's a know, good know, word, and the pocket of it. You know, make sure it's in you no know, pitch in the pocket. All that. Did you so tell I, Janet I she was all sharp? That
4: Say that again. Did you tell Janet she was sharp. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, I would. I bet you did. <laughs> and she was a few times, trust me. bro. So.
2: <laughs> Eric, now uh, you, you had a different, uh, again, you came in from a different side of things. We didn't know each other. I knew Bean. I didn't, I didn't meet any of you guys. Jelly Bean was the first
4: um, that I met. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you might have been around the warehouse the day that I came in the first time. I, I remember meeting you and Jerome. Suze, I didn't meet you until probably. Um, I came into the first sessions in July. I didn't meet you until the following October. Wow, wow. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Pardon me? We met, I met, I'm sorry, can you guys hear me? We, we, okay. um, I met you at the string session.
4: No, I wasn't at the string session. You weren't at that string nope. session. Nope
3: After that When we I
4: remember: the- Nope I met you. I came back. Here is a timeline for me. When I came in in July uh, in fact, it was July 2nd, '85, I did the first sessions with him. We did four songs the first afternoon. It was just Susan, Prince and myself. Being you might have popped in. Jerome, I believe, was hanging around. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had planned to just stick around, spend time with my family, with Alan. Um, about a week later, um, Prince called Alan to see if I was still in town. And he said, Yeah, he is. So he said, Bring him in. I came in and we did Nothing Compares to You with the horn on that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one evening where I came in and we did uh, Feline with the horn on Feline. And um, that was the first time that he actually left me alone. He had just done the track that evening. <laughs> And um he said he gave me a couple of suggestions of what of how to approach it and then he left. So it was just Susan and I until like three in the morning. Um and then I jammed with the band one afternoon. Um because the band had been brought in to start rehearsing for the set that they were gonna do at the premiere party couple weeks later um from for purple rain the premiere party so i so i was there one afternoon and prince just invited me to jam with him for a half hour or something and then the next day i went home and that was that was the end of my involvement until i think october uh i came up the band he, he and his band were in production rehearsals for the upcoming tour purple rain tour we did one more song. We did the other instrumental, the one that was called Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, he had finished the track. Wendy was was with him. And I came in late evening. They left. And Susan and I were just, the two of us there until about two or three in the morning working on that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was all incremental. I had, and, and that's when I met you, Suze. And I remember I was sitting in the warehouse um, one afternoon playing the piano and oh. you happened to walk through and it was the first time that, that we ever met. Oh. Wow. Yeah.
3: Did we say anything to each other? I don't even remember.
4: We, we were hanging out in the office with Alan and I think Gwen might have been there. That, that, makes that, was, that was pretty much the sum, tot- sum total of it because I, in, at, at that point I think I was there for only a week um, and then I went home. And as, and as far as I know, <laughs> that could have been the end of the whole thing. You know, um, yeah. you know like I say, it was just, just incremental. Think uh, now, gotta, I think you got to remember whatever happens next is going to happen
1: next. And if it doesn't happen, hey, you know, I get on with my life. You got to remember this. Uh, this was way before Purple Rain came out. Well, it was right it, when Purple Rain was coming out. Yes, yeah. but it, yeah. it was before any kind of success. Right. And yeah. He yeah. really uh, wasn't a star at that point.
0: No, they,
1: they, we, yeah, we were all just uh, yeah. All I remember was the expectation about
4: what they were all hoping that might there might turn right. into. But I mean, look, absolutely. I mean, you got on this you know, from from that perspective. Here's a guy who at most was selling maybe a million and a half records, maybe you know, maybe close to two at nineteen ninety nine, and all of a sudden he blows up and sells close to fifteen million. If if Purple Rain had only sold five or six million that would have been a huge success for him.
6: Right.
4: Yeah. you know, No one was going to expect it to blow up the way it did. No. Yeah. No. No, we
5: just didn't.
6: We- let me just ask, sorry to interrupt, guys. Let me just ask you uh, uh, for a second, Eric, because uh-huh. I, I think a lot of people might be interested. Did Prince's style in the studio change when you were working before Purple Rain to you know after he became a big star? Did you notice that there was a a change in his methodology, you know, how he would go about recording things or, or, or was he just, he was just kind of driven by himself regardless of what was happening.
4: Process didn't change at all. The the, um, figured. uh, Yeah. yeah. And, and the thing was, and and this is a story that a lot of the fans like to talk about, I don't know. um, Doesn't really mean that much to me. When I first met him, um, I believe that I came in town the night before the session. Um, I think the session was on a Monday. I flew into town this night before Sunday and Alan was nervous because he probably felt he had more to gain or lose from this
5: than
4: I did. And um, I I was at the warehouse with my horn ready and, and just waiting for Prince to come in, having not a clue as to what, this was about all I had asked Alan, I said, is there anything about this music that you think I might like? And Alan said, I think so. Some of what he had heard, he said, sounds like pretty traditional R&B stuff, which might be in your wheelhouse. Now, Alan might have been selling me a bill of goods. I don't know if Alan, what Alan. <laughs> thank, thank you, Alan. Alan. <laughs> um, walked, into uh, the, walked into the, to the big room where, where everything was set up. Um, Alan introduced us. First thing Prince said to me was, um, and I I had my horn in my hand, ready to go. And Prince said to me, he said, "Um, I've got several songs that we could work on. I could give you some cassettes of them if you want to live with them for a couple days and get an idea of, you know. Um, I didn't want that because to be absolutely honest with you, I didn't want to have any input or spend any more time on this than what the realization was gonna be right then. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to feel that I had ever any responsibility to bring in something preconceived. Yeah. yeah. Cause I said, you know, so I told him I, and, and I, I, I don't think I, I was trying to sound cocky or anything. I just said, um, if that's what you want, fine, but I'm ready to go if you are. So, because basically in my mind, I'm sorry. I said, I don't, I don't think this is brain surgery here. First you take know, is the best this take. Was, this wasn't my first rodeo, you know, right. so, um, and he kind of smiled at me, and everyone wants to think that, oh, y- 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 you know, but, but, it, but it set our relationship. That it was like, hey, man, whatever you want, but, like, I'm here, let's go. You right. know, I, I mean, that's not how I said it, but, and he smiled, and, and two and a half hours later, we had four songs done. So, you know, whatever. And, and yeah. I, I, I can tell you exactly what they were. First one was Desire, and
5: yep. yep. we did High
4: Fashion and Mutiny. And then the instrumental that was uh, um, uh, uh, eventually called Susanna's Pajamas. And we took maybe two hours, two and a half. I don't know. So
2: that that was you, Susan Rogers, and Prince. Prince.
4: Yeah. Like I say, I think Jellybean might have popped in for a minute. And I have a recollection that Jerome was hanging around. Because Jerome was always hanging around at at that point. You know, Jerome had already become his sidekick.
0: His sidekick, yeah, absolutely.
2: So don't let me ask you uh, Suzanne. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Um, I had no idea
4: about, you know, what, what they were going to do. Um, I didn't hear the strings until when I came back up in October that had already been done. Um, I don't know about any of you guys or whatever you guys, you, you, you know, I mean, i w I'm about five to 10 years older than anybody else other than maybe Bean, who's a little bit younger than me, but, <laughs> um, You know, I already had a career in music playing jazz and R&B and funk and stuff for like 15 years. So, I mean, when I heard that Claire Fisher had been, you know, hired to do the do string arrangements and I was like puzzled. I said, well, that's going to be interesting. But I mean, it's like, did any of you know who Claire Fisher was? I mean, I did because I used to play his music. I mean, I'm a jazz guy. any guy yeah. who's playing you you you
6: did Sue's uh, Yeah, but I mean yeah, you I asked me, was, you me. Know, my As asked you me. father and my Claire Claire father Fisher, were me.
4: friends. Yeah. Yeah. So hold on a minute, Claire let me clear I'm going to say one word, pensativa.
2: Oh, That's oh, what
3: happened, Brent, was from my father. That's yeah.
2: how right.
3: how your dad got involved because I had said, but Prince and i had been listening to those old Chaka records.
5: Yeah. You yeah. know, and
3: I'd known about Claire forever from, you know, just arranging and my father having him arrange things and just being in the session world. Right. And so I said to, you know, Prince and I were talking one day and, and, um, and we were, wouldn't it be great if there were strings on this record? That would be, uh, you know, that would be so whatever we used, whatever the word was, the, you know, adjective we use, but it was like, let's get Claire. How are we going to get Claire? Do you, you, know, I was like, well, my father knows him really well. And that's an in. So I, li- one call to my dad, I was like, pop, um, is it possible you can call Claire? Um, we're doing this project with Prince and we want to do, want to get strings on it. And that was it. That was like, and your dad got some tapes and that was it. Yep. And got it. But I was like, if we can get Claire on this and do what I think, is, what I'm hearing, you know, I was telling Prince what I hear is Claire Fisher's string. I mean, there's no other arranger I hear because we had been so influenced by those old, those Rufus Eyes records, the Rufus records. Right. I was like, that's the kind of marriage it needs. It needs that relationship where this, you know, big, warm, you know, melodic. He
1: wanted, he wanted movie music. That's he, what he told me.
3: Right, right.
1: He wants movie music and that's who we thought could do it.
2: Yeah. Brent, 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 what do you recall about? Were you at those sessions? First,
6: first of, of all, I wasn't at any of the sessions, but I was there when my dad was doing all the writing. This okay. was the, I guess this was the the last project before I actually, you know, became professionally involved in the situation there. Uh, yeah. When, when, when. Dad used to do string arrangements for people like I mean, going back to you know Santana and Rufus and all those people in the seventies. Everybody would send a little cassette tape, and and he would have to you know he needed a, a chart to to have something visual to look at so he could match up the bar numbers and everything when he was writing out his his uh, orchestral arrangements. So he would you know kind of sketch out what the band and the singers were doing, and then he would he would use that, but it wasn't a full transcription. Um, when when all of a sudden we got handed the cassette tape for uh, for the parade album, that was you know a whole album worth of material, and he just he just gave it to me because he knew I was good at transcribing. He said, "Listen, I I want you to do this uh, for the project," and and it was at that point that I that I got involved. What my recollections of the uh, the family project were was just listening to him come up with the ideas. Because I was, uh, you know, I was right in the other room uh, working on my, you know, either a college term paper or, uh, you know, uh, writing out something for a, a music class. I, I was a, I was a percussion major at Cal State Northridge. And so I was just listening to him put the ideas together and then uh, how, you know, talk about what he would want for the instrumentation. Remember, he always picked out a specific instrumentation for each song or each group of songs, you know, whatever we were gonna do in the studio that particular day. And that's a practice I followed to this day in, in my own writing. It, it's every song needs its own unique instrumentation setup because it's like, it's, that's your palette. So once, once, you, once you hear what the artist has done that sort of informs your choices as to what kind of a palette you want to create. And then once you've created the palette, then you can go and do, you know, put together the nuts and bolts of the sonic architecture to really right. support and, and, uh, you know, bring out the emotion in the music. And, uh, and so that was, that was just a great experience, you know, listening to the cassette tape that you guys had sent him and then hearing him play along, you know, on his fender Rhodes, mm-hmm. And then he'd stop and write something down and, you know, a, a little bit, I, I would say a little bit akin to, you know, if I had to describe it for somebody who has um, no professional, no no contact with other professional musicians, it was a little bit akin to what, you know, if you, if you remember also from a, another movie that was released around the same time, Amadeus, you know, the process that Mozart supposedly was going through in the film, where he, he kind of, you know, would play a little bit on the piano, but then he had ideas in his head, and once, you know, once the ideas were there, then... My dad could just sit, and, and, and it was all pencil on paper. Remember, there was no computer notation back then. So, wow. all pencil on paper, right. you know, for hours at a time. And I remember he used to tell me it would take uh, sometimes up to, depending on the size of the orchestra, if it was a really large orchestra, it'd take him up to an hour just to write in the notes for one bar mm-hmm. of the orchestra. Yeah. and and so that and, and you know that's after he already worked out the idea so he had a phrase in his head he knew what he wanted to write then it was just a question of sitting down and part by part and then going to the next phrase and then the next you know and just keep on going and, like and that. the most the most difficult part about that process is remembering
4: what you have in your head by the time you're finished writing it
5: yeah,
6: right. yeah. wow yeah, yeah. Well, and, so, you know, sometimes it would change on the way, but I think, I think uh, you know, he, he, was, he was very much um, very disciplined and, and he trained me to be that, that way too. So, you know, when, when either of us go into a studio to stand in front of an orchestra, we, we know what we want. During the writing process, we've, you know, hopefully gotten enough information. If there's any input from the artist at all, sometimes there's no input at all. It's yep. here do what you feel, you know, that's the only, those are the only instructions, but sometimes there, there are things, you know, if if you could do this, please at the bridge, or I I hear this, or or maybe even somebody's done some string synthesizer parts and they say, can you, you know, work off of this? Uh, So, so whatever the case is, you know, once you, once you get the idea formed in your head, it doesn't go away and at least not for, not for me. And and, and it wasn't that way from my dad. I, Mm -hmm. he never had a problem you know, once, once the ideas were formed in his head, and he used to tell me sometimes uh, stuff would come to him in his sleep. He would be dreaming as he was sleeping that he was writing music and a new idea would pop up and then he'd wake up in the morning and go and, uh, and jot it down and then continue on from there.
2: Yeah, that's great. That's incredible. So, I mean, I think that, that changed the face of the record for me. What I remember when I received the first cassette tape uh uh from Prince he sent it back to me after the string sessions I remember playing that I remember playing that uh cassette for my brother Billy who's a bebop head and he about you know fell on the ground when he heard the harmonics that were going over the one chord wonders it made it expanded it to a place that I don't think a lot of i mean Rufus did it, but this was this was different. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that, but it was unbelievable. And what I want to ask, and I want to bring it back down to David, in the mix, there's a lot of things that happen. One of the brilliant moves, and I want to find out if it was you or Prince or a Combination or Suze, I don't know if you were there or not, because I certainly was not there for the mix. Who decided to mute the majority of the rhythm section on a lot of these songs to let that orchestra breathe. Uh, Who was in charge of that, David?
1: Well, it started with River Run Dry, which my brother Bobby wrote. And that was a full band. It was a full uh, rhythm section. And Prince was the one that just pulled everything down. He goes, we don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need that. And he took all the instruments out except for the orchestra. And that sort of set the stage for... uh, the further that further development of that, when a lot of the songs, we started eliminating tracks in the mix, tracks that took hours and hours to do. But uh, he was a big fan of sparsity, less is more. That's what we always used to say, less is more. He was then. Was <laughs> <laughs> that? He was then.
4: Um, yeah. uh, he was fast forward five years and. That wasn't the case
1: anymore. <laughs> no, I well, when he started doing his own engineering, I think uh, things changed quite a bit. When he got when he got his first forty
4: his first uh, forty eight track,
3: yeah. know, everything, say,
4: everything changed. When
3: his console turned to forty eight tracks. He was going to use them all for sure. Yeah, he wanted, he yeah wanted, he I, actually, I had
6: to transcribe yeah. them all too. You know, we'd get we'd get a forty eight track tape. Actually, they'd send us a cassette, and I listened to the cassette, and it was so dense. I, you know, I, I called up uh, Prince's assistant and I said, is there any way you guys can just send a, a, a you know, a, a slave of the 48 track tape? And and then I would go into the studio and transcribe that track by track. So I'd make mm-hmm. sure I'd be accurate and give my dad the kind of <laughs> detail that he needed to really be able you know, he used to call it he likened it to fitting the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle together so there 's part of the puzzle is supplied by the artist, and then my dad would do the other part and he wants everything to fit together just right you know and and there's there 's actually a phrase that i, I wasn 't aware of because i didn 't you know being around my dad it didn 't come up very much, but as I got working uh, you know I, I started doing orchestra managing for for other uh writers and things like that in the in the late nineties and as I would get onto these other projects, this phrase of that, that, you know, I'd never heard before started getting used a lot. And it was called happy accidents, you know, so where <laughs> you you write something and then somebody else writes something and there's not really a lot of attention to detail here. You're just kind of throwing your parts together without really knowing precisely what the other person had done, just sort of mashing it all on top. And if it sounds good, then it's a happy accident, you know, but when it doesn't sound good, then you got to go back and, uh, but we we never had that. I prefer, you know, I prefer happy, you know, detailed interactions, right? <laughs> right. That's yeah. that's the way you get that sound, and that's the way that's the way the orchestra is not going to step on anybody's toes, and, and or vice versa. You know that that those those parts are just going to match together like a you know like a like a like a recipe at a gourmet restaurant or something like that. You just taste it and you say, oh man, this is you know this is heaven. There, there's,
4: a, there's an interesting, on, on, the, on the album, there's an interesting thing that I assume um, was Prince's idea. Um, at the end of, of, of... Susanna's Pajamas segues into Desire, right? That, yeah, that, that's, that, that's the, the sequence. At the end of that song, as soon as, as Susanna's Pajamas ends... It immediately, without a breath, goes into a string line um, of Claire's to segue into the beginning of Desire. But the arrangement, that's not the arrangement. The, 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 the string line that Prince used to, to segue was actually lifted from several minutes into the song of Desire. Hmm. And I assume that he just heard it. Yeah, and yeah. somewhere along the line said let's fly that to the beginning and use it as a segue um, because I remember looking at the string charts and I said well where is this line at the top and I said well it's not at the top and then I, I found it you know several minutes into the song I said oh well that, that's you know those, those are the interesting things that, that you know and, and I assumed that that was Prince that, that yeah that was him
6: yeah yeah, yeah. And there were times when when you know uh, either somebody would request of Dad to write a prelude or a postlude mm-hmm. to the actual song itself, and then there are other times when he just decided to throw it in and see whether they would uh, see whether they would do it i mean that's that 's what I did with uh, really love for D'Angelo I just decided I was going to start with the orchestra first and then bring in his tracks and uh mm-hmm. fortunately he liked that idea and I, th- I think we we have a couple of um prelude scores you know where where it it just started out with the orchestra for for some of prince's songs and then uh and, and then it, it was always prince's decision whether he wanted to use it or not um it, right, yeah and also that that I think he was used to this because we noticed this on uh under the cherry moon he had taken sections um of of orchestral parts and maybe not even the whole orchestra just you know solo the cellos or the yep, low yep. strings take out four or five bars and that became incidental background music mm, for right. a scene mm-hmm. in under the uh in under the cherry moon and and that was that, that uh, you know that gave the musicians union a big headache trying to figure out how do we charge for this it's not like a residual it's a, it's mm-hmm. not like a new use of the music it's like what, what are we gonna do so but it was a you know it was a good headache to have yeah. so because uh, it was fun it was fun seeing all those little parts because Prince was listening I remember you know I remember uh, Morris Hayes telling me that he he watched Prince you know in the studio and he'd just like be pushing pushing up faders and just like checking out one instrument at a time he wanted to know exactly what was going on and um and and, you know things would strike him and i think this is the result
2: let me just say brent your involvement your father's involvement david z i can't thank you enough for what you did on this record before i let you guys go we have one more guest i want to bring on and i'm going to show you this she had to Tape this for us and let me just share my screen and I'll make sure you can hear this. Uh hold on a second. Okay, so I'm gonna come over here. Can you see that, you guys? Oh wow. Hey Susan. Wow. Hello
7: everybody.
2: We're gonna break away for a second here so I can tell you about a couple really important items. Number one, we have a brand new highlights page on YouTube. We want you to check it out. It's especially made by our intern, Jake Miller, for people who don't have quite enough time to sit through the entire video podcast. It's a great way to catch up on some great tidbits of information from all of our guests. You're going to have to search for it, I'm afraid, just simply because we need more subscribers on there in order for us to get a custom URL but it's Music on the Run Highlights. You know what else is on there, you guys? A brand new feature that we've been doing strictly on Fridays. It's called Funk Friday. Gotta have a little funk for your weekend. We feature great musicians, some former guests, some future guests, and it's a little one-to-two-minute vignette of us jamming and funking out. And it's a great way to kick off your weekend. It's called Funk Fridays every Friday. Check it out. It's on the Music on the Run Highlights Reel. And, of course, you'll find it on Facebook and Instagram as well. All right. Let's get back to the interview. Okay. So I'm going to come over here. Can you see that, you guys? Oh, wow. Hey, Susan. Wow. Hello,
7: everybody. It's Susan Rogers here. I wish I could be with you in real time, but Paul asked me if I'd share a memory or say hello, and so I am. Um, I'm on vacation for the next few days, so uh, that's why I couldn't be with you in real time. Um, Rather than a specific memory, because they were just flashes that I remember, I think back to that time when we worked on Around the World in a Day and the family's first album, and I realized... This is all young people in a warehouse getting together to make music. Now, there's a lot of talk these days about folks like Billie Eilish and Lil Nas X and bedroom records, and that's all a good thing. But back in the 80s, we were making bedroom records. We were making warehouse records. The difference between then and now is we were doing these things together. Unfortunately, the pandemic has made that Temporarily not possible. So it's fun to listen to the family and remember a time when talented young musicians in a Midwest city in a warehouse that used to sell tires or machine parts. Those in the middle came of nowhere. And took well crafted songs and played them and recorded them and rehearsed them and planned what they would do together as a band. I don't remember any conversations about the billboard charts. I don't remember conversations about popular trends or commercial necessities that we needed to conform to. I just remember the best of what music making is. People who want to express themselves musically and have the skill and the talent to do it. That's what the family represents. Pure, pure music making by some really talented people. Um, I wish, again, that I could join you all, but uh, I hope you uh, have fun in this conversation, and I hope you listen again to the family's album and uh, continue to follow the careers of these great musicians because they are some of the finest players I have ever had the privilege of hearing close up and personal and... um, I have lots more
2: to say bye guys oh man how great is that
0: <laughs> oh,
2: that's beautiful I got with, that, with that i'm gonna just... what 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 how come she looks the same yes, i know he
0: did, yeah, she like did 35 girl. years
4: oh, no. ago I'm like oh my god what? She, she's got a time machine i <laughs> know it
2: damn david brent thank you guys so much for joining us we love you and uh We'll catch up with you another time. Yeah. All right. Bye, you guys. Bye bye bye.
4: bye. Yep.
2: <laughs> all right, there we go. All right, all right, we got the band back together. <laughs> well, that was fun. You know what? That's cool to document that stuff, and uh, great to see David Z and and Brent. And so we had a record at this point. Then what happened? Oh, we lost Bean. There's Bean. What was the timeline, uh, Eric? You're my timeline reference, but uh, somebody chime in and tell me what the length of time is. What happened after the record was done? It waited. A, we waited a while to put it out, right?
4: Record came out. Yeah, I, I forget the exact date, but it was um, it was summer. It was, uh, it, was uh, it was I think June, May or June of '85. Yeah. Okay when it came yeah, out. Yeah, um yeah, 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 yeah. And we started we started rehearsals um second week of June of eight of eighty five. Eighty five. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. And yeah. now we're at a different
2: warehouse. Yeah. The one yeah, right right by the house I just used was to was right
4: across from where you used to live, Paul.
2: Yeah. yeah. Susanna, what were you going to say because we were having trouble.
5: I going
3: that um after right after the Purple Rain tour and he got he came home it was like we there was this moment I think it it was a June late June after the Purple Rain tour and we went into rehearsals.
4: Yeah. Got we on. had done we had done the video because it, we went to California we did the um video <laughs> in <laughs> May. Right. Yep. So it,
3: yep. uh, there was a, a little bit of a lag period, but that when he was his brain was off of Purple Rain, he then could then focus.
4: Mm. Yeah, we did. We 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 went we went out two times. We were out there. We did uh, a couple days for the photo shoot. Yep. yep. And then we came back. I think uh, I think the week later to do the video. I think. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh yeah. By the way, that didn't, weren't you the bass player on that, <laughs> um, <laughs> Eric? Yeah. Well, why not?
4: <laughs>
2: Your dance moves were fantastic, by the way.
4: I, I, I got I to tell you, I really think, because we had come in ostensibly to do the video, and the day that we got in, you, Paul, and Bean, and me, were at Sunset Sound recording the track for the song For Love for Jill Jones.
0: Oh, yeah, remember I remember that. Yeah, I think it might have been the only
4: that. time that, Paul, you ever played on a, on a session with us.
2: It's true. Yeah.
4: But yeah. It's it really is. At that point at that point where then he explained to us um the basic idea for for the video. And he's talking to everybody about what their role is going to be. Now, you got to remember this was a song that had no horn on it
0: right yeah yeah
4: so finally i'm sitting there and i'm just kind of you know and i'm really wondering why am i out here at all (laughs) 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 and i looked at him i said uh excuse me boss uh yo yo mr prince um exactly you know maybe at this point um do you recall there's no horn on this so what what am i and he looked at me, and I, now, I, you know, maybe this is me just, just you know, uh, making this up. I don't know. But there was. I just remember there was a pause yeah. as if he had completely forgotten the fact right. that, oh, yeah, there's no horn on this. And he looked at me, and he said, you'll play bass. Now, I swear, from, from my perspective, I think that was the first time he ever even thought, he better, he better do something. Uh, okay, you'll play bass. Gee, thanks a
2: lot. <laughs> <laughs> so the record comes out, and then but isn't that when he started filming under the Cherry Moon? Or when did that? When did that start happening?
4: Okay, do you recall that we had we were at a birthday party celebration for him at the Prom Center in
0: Yes, yep. yep, I remember that. Yeah,
4: the next day he was off to France. Wow. We started getting together the next day. He wow. we were we were on our own for about a week or two before he came back for a week or so or a couple of weeks or whatever. Um and that's when he got involved. And we're basically sitting there for a week or whatever and this is when we were basically putting the band together, all the other musicians that were going to be. Uh, Sue's your brother. Right. Yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah.
4: All you brought in Billy Carruthers. Right. You remember who yeah, the yeah. first bass player in the band was going to be?
2: The cellist. What's, What's the a, What was his name?
4: name? Uh, um, um, Lisa's brother.
2: Yes. yes. Can't hear you.
3: David. Yes. yes. David Coleman.
4: Right. We were. We were working. We the, the original plan was to have three or four string players. Play. Yeah,
2: Pat Frederick tried out a local musician here. He tried out.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That that whole that idea went away within about a week week or week and a half. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It did. Um, with all due respect to David, everybody knew, including David, that that wasn't going to work.
3: Oh, yeah, David knew right away. He was like, well, this is not yeah. my. Yeah. I'm a telephone and yes, I play bass, but this is not.
4: Yeah, this is, yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and it, was, it was an awkward situation for all of us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, You know, because Prince, you know, Prince just had it in his mind that no, that they, they was going to, you know. Um, all I remember is that we were, Susie, you were the only one that was having any kind of of communication with Prince. Yeah. You know, at- I know I wasn't. No, none of, us, none of us none of us were. So basically any direction that we were getting as to how we're supposed to proceed, we were getting from you. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was he was in Nice at the time doing pre production, just pre production for the movie. Um, actually I think yeah, he was he was he was in, in Nice firing the director. <laughs> 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 the director. The basically much, yeah. the director, I'm gonna direct this, you can go home. You know, oh, that's when
3: he... That came a little bit later. Because okay, I...
4: all right. That came a little anyway, um, we knew he was going to come back. And we knew that any and everything that we were doing was basically just us whistling in the graveyard because he was going
2: to change everything graveyard. when he got back. Change and everything.
4: I, remember, I remember the first day he walked in. And the first thing he did, I mean, he didn't even say hi. You know, the first thing he did, it said, okay, um, Eric, you stand here. Je- you know, Jerome, you, Wally and Brooks, you're over here. Suze and, all. Uh, you know, it was the first thing, he's already into it, and that was yeah. that. Yeah.
2: yeah. Do you remember what he said to uh, uh, the keyboard player, Billy Carruthers, about his string zone?
4: Yeah, this this was the, – the plan was is that we were going to um, – get a lot of new keyboards for the band Um, and we were just rehearsing on what was around and basically what was around were were, were a bunch of old Oberheims that were crashed and and, you know Um, and and just to explain Jonathan was basically going to be the primary keyboard player
2: Jonathan, Susanna's brother
4: yeah Jonathan Melkoin was going to be so the
2: people are playing along here
4: for um, you know covering the basic parts as a part of the rhythm section Billy was hired ostensibly
2: to mimic the
0: strings. Yeah. Because here is a guy that.
2: And I grew up with Billy, and he was a bebop guy, and he understood those harmonies, how to transcribe that orchestra under his hands. He had taken lessons from my cousin Bobby. Right. He
4: knocked him down to to what we call a a keyboard redaction Mm -hmm. of the string parts. I have his handwritten redaction somewhere. Can I just tell
3: you a little bit of something what what Billy and my brother would do? What? And they would get together for the fun of it. This is the kind of brains they both were. Right. They would notate the Rite of Spring.
5: Oh, there you go. They, yeah. would
3: take, they would take sheets out, and my brother would take the second cello part. He would take the first viola part, and they would each just sit down, listen to the track, and write it.
2: Wow. Nerd city. Oh, my wow. God. Wow. Bean, you did that. You and I did that, too, didn't we?
4: Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I mean, I mean it's, it's like I, I, I did it with John Coltrane solos. Right. Wow. I mean, you know, but, right. but, you, but the story you're talking about, Paul, is is that we were we were a little interested in how the relationship between Prince and, and Billy or, or Billy Carruthers because Billy was like he, he, you know he was a real gun for hire and he was yeah. a young kid who always who, who just was wanted to play not only bebop but some really avant-garde kind of you know I yeah, mean he yes, is, yeah. he's about this stuff Yeah, and so he you know he, he didn't care Right. He, who's this guy Prince you know what the hell okay you know Mr. Purple Rain <laughs> what do I care
2: he loved wearing makeup by the way well, oh, that was enough.
4: Yeah, it was another story. So anyway, he's playing these string, you know, playing these string parts on this, this old Oberheim. Um, and Billy wasn't a synth guy, so he didn't know anything about how to, you know, and it's, you know, and it sounded horrible. And we knew it was, and we knew that sooner or later, we're going to get some keyboards in here that are going to be have better string sounds. So the first and second day, day the Prince is there. Um, Prince finally had enough of this keyboard sound. So he goes up to Billy. And so kind of said, hey, get out of the way. You know, so Prince, Prince starts just turning every freaking knob on this mm-hmm. damn thing. You know, just this, that, <laughs> and
0: he And he hits a
4: sound of something, and he looked at Billy and said, Billy Carruthers and said, there, that sounds better, doesn't it? And Billy didn't miss a beat. He looked right at him and said, better? Sounds like
2: a swarm of locusts. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> Fred, Fred, Prince looked at Billy and gave him look like.
2: Oh, yeah, he gave that face.
0: face. Look, he
4: gave gave the face. From him, but from then on, Prince liked Billy.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so because I want to be good for your time here, and I know you guys probably have a life to go back to here, I do want to talk about when uh, when you everybody was kind of. The record had come out. There wasn't a lot of promotion going on. There was no signed contract. We had a manager by the name of Dan Brennan. Okay, and and there was no contract signed, and and there was no uh, motivation for them to 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 make that make us sign it. I guess at the time. So, long story short, I'm in LA. Uh, he's grooming me for something he never told me about. But I'm, I'm living at the Oakwood Apartments on Barham Boulevard, acting, singing, dancing lessons. Susanna, I believe you're in France. Bean, I don't remember where you You're probably at home. Eric, you might be back in Georgia, right, at that time?
4: Guys, did I never tell you the story about me being at the Warner Brothers convention?
2: I don't know. No, you better tell. Do tell. Briefly.
4: Okay, okay. So... We did the gig, the First Avenue gig, okay. and then we all scattered because Prince was now going back soon after that, going back to actually begin filming for the. For,
2: for right. I didn't mention that one gig we played. That's pretty important.
4: Okay. But anyway, we, we now were basically scattered because all we knew is that there was supposedly going to be a tour of the Paisley acts, which were going to yeah. be Sheila E., us, and Maserati. And that this was supposed to happen sometime in the fall. That was the overall plan. Um, and until we, we were just scattered until we heard what was going to happen next.
5: Right.
4: I went home to, I went home to, uh, actually I went to Pittsburgh for a while and then went down to Atlanta. Now, short sure, story, sure, my brother and I had a very, very close friend. His name was Bob Patton. He had worked for James Brown. He was the guy that kind of was the mentor for Alan when Alan was working for James Brown back in the late 60s, early 70s. Bob lived in Atlanta. He was an extremely close friend of ours, passed away years ago. He was an independent record promoter, the last of a dying breed. And anyway, he would always go to record company conventions and he had all of the hookups with the major companies. During that period of time, every year in September, Warner Brothers had their national convention at the old Diplomat Hotel in Hollywood, Florida, which is just north of Miami. My parents lived in South Florida in Miami. I had gone down there to spend some time with them. Bob is coming down, and he says, and we're closer because he lived in Atlanta also, where I'm still living. He said, you're going to come to the convention? And I said, why on earth am I going to the Warner Brothers convention? He said, don't worry, we'll go because I'm going. So anyway, the two of us end up going to the convention at the at the Diplomat Hotel in Hollywood, Florida. I don't know what I'm there for. I'm wearing a, a suit and tie and whatever, just, you know. Sheila was there. You know, now, now this is the whole sales staff from Warner Brothers, WIA, worldwide. You know, Lenny's there, Moe's there, everybody's there. This is their big, you know, yeah, combat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bob was a real mensch. I mean, he's hooked, you know, he's a guy that, that can sell straw hats to Eskimos, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is what he did, you know. So he's hooked up. So all of a sudden, I'm at the main table in front having dinner with, at the big table with Bob, Mo, Lenny, all of these guys. And he interest, introduced me for the first time to Mary Lou Badeau, who you met, Paul.
2: Sure, in Australia.
4: That time was the vice president of R and B music marketing, sales, or whatever, reporting directly to Ray Harris. who was, the, you know, anyway, she's she's major, and she was the one person at Warner Brothers that had the closest relationship to Prince throughout, you know, his yeah. his relationship with with the Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. Yeah. She was the only one that routinely Prince respected. He said to me once, he said, if everybody in the music business was as cool as Mary Lou would go, the music business could be really cool. That was the nature of her relationship. She would hang out with us. Anyway, it was the first time I met her. All of a sudden, we're in the middle of dinner, and I'm being asked to come up to the podium to speak to the entire Warner Brothers Corporation. As a member of Prince's New Prod- Project, which has best been, been released, and we got a top 10 hit with this song, Screams of Passion. Mary Lou laughed. He said, you didn't look like somebody who was a member of a group. You were dressed and looked like somebody who was the manager of the group. Wow. You know? But so basically I understood that, you know something? We had a record out and we were, you know, it was like you, you didn't get a sense from anybody that anybody there really knew. Who the hell we were. What yeah. You know, I mean, the album was doing well and we had a top 10 single, but I mean, all of a sudden, why am I here? Yeah. And I'm only yeah. there because of my friend. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and the only fun that, that I just ended up hanging up with Sheila all night, you know, that was, you know, the only thing that we had fun doing. But I mean, it was like, but it gave me an I, You know, so, so Paul, all of the, all of the issues that you had when you decided to leave, they were all very true and accurate nobody was talking to each other and there was nobody in charge. Right. Yeah. Any, anything that anybody at Warner Brothers was actually doing on our behalf, they were basically doing on their own because they realized that, you know, there's something here that's worth me working, even though I'm not really getting direct attention from anybody to do this. And that was Mary Lou
2: Badeau. Right. So here's, going into this, uh, that exact thing about... Me leaving. And actually I'm a little nervous about this because I've never asked you guys, especially you know, on a podcast here, but I decided to leave. There's a lot of stuff that led up to it. I had an opportunity. I was gonna go my separate way and leave you guys to whatever was gonna happen. I don't think we've ever really publicly talked about that. Where was your guys' head at at that point? I mean, how would that made? How were you feeling once that once you found out the band was disbanding? And Bean, why don't I start with you? Well, it was tough for me,
0: man, because you know, I, I, I well, I, I can, pro- I can say it. I didn't want you to leave because I thought if we just hung out and did it for like a year, you could go wherever the hell you wanted. And then, second of all, and you guys don't notice, Prince was on me about you know trying to convince you to stay. Oh, he was on me about it, and uh, yeah. And you know, I knew I couldn't do nothing about that. You know, I tried. You know, I had to. Pause. I hung out with you a little bit and stuff, and you know, and I, I we had a few conversations, all that and stuff. Yeah. And so once he uh once he realized you were gone, he was furious. You know, and That kind of reflected on me. I'll never forget. I don't know if I ever told you guys that. He was already mad at you about it. And he called me from France. And he said, Jelly Bean, he said, I want you to join the revolution. And I said to him, I said, well, Prince, yeah, that's cool. I said, but what are we going to do about the family? He hung the phone up on me. And that next week, my pay was cut, you know, pretty much.
2: How can you cut it even more than... (laughs) Where world
0: was. He uh, He cut it even more. He did. And I, I had Fred, who was the, who, Fred Moultrie was the accountant. Yeah,
1: Fred Moultrie. A,
0: yeah, I got a call from him. Oh, Chris can't afford you no more, you know, Maureen, you know, all this stuff. Chris can't afford that. Why'd he cut your pay? <laughs> Eric knows. Eric knows. And, uh, and so it, it was, it, it was a tough time for me. I'm not going to, that's basically when I joined, you know, flight time and joined his staff. And, uh, and, Save my house, you know. Basically, save my living conditions, you know, because wow. uh, it was it was it was a terrible time, man. I'm not gonna lie, you know. So, but I understood your 18 year old kid, you know, and like Eric said, we had no pay, none of us had signed anything. You know, we had a top ten record, and we we weren't signed. I mean, we were the faces, but you know, we weren't contractually obligated to anything right and and that's the thing he you know, I think he was going on the 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 fact that you know, well, you know, I put this together for you guys' benefit, and now it's falling apart, so right, and that's why Paul, you were punk of the mud all around the country when he's in concert.
2: I have a button that says that summer around here <laughs> Suzanne, I want to ask you the same question, and because I, I I've always been curious
3: well, I was with him at that you know at the time and when we found out we were in we were in europe and it was heartbreaking actually because we'd had that screams of passion had done well and had a possibility of this record actually doing something and the record was really good i mean i i I felt confident and that we could work this record and that we had Mm -hmm. something really special with the band
5: Mm -hmm. so
3: it was like I didn't know, I didn't hear from you directly. So Paul, I didn't hear anything. I didn't know what your circumstances were. I didn't know what happened. I just heard that you left and got yourself a record deal. You know, you got yourself a record deal, whatever that meant. meant, But at the time what it meant to me was you didn't care enough about this project and you needed to take care of yourself only. And so there are so many reasons why you did and why you felt that it was a th- that, that change needed to happen. I completely get it. You know, but at the time, at the time, I didn't understand. Of course. Figure out like, what would make him want to do that? You know, that's right. weird. Like That's not even weird. If it felt like <laughs> I, I remember several reasons why he was like, <laughs> <weird. But> my, <laughs> my, you know? my my position, we had work to do, and we had a record to work, and it was working at the time, and then all of a sudden, it was screeching halt. So, but then, there was another side to this. I was very, very much involved with Prince, and he'd asked me to marry him at this time, right when we found out you had left. And my life had a different trajectory, I had been working with him no matter what we were doing, whether it was with the family or I was doing other, tracking other songs, but I was also very much involved with him. And we had, uh, we we were going to have a life together. So, you know, Cherry Moon was supposed to have me in it as the star of it. And then we are in Paris. And then the next thing I know, I don't want you to be the lead in this film. I want you to be my wife. And, things change in, in such a dramatic way that I lost myself. Mm. And I felt like, well, how would I possibly, like, how would I be in this band as his wife? He would, you, that, you,
4: you, you wouldn't I, have been.
3: Well, I wouldn't have been.
4: Yeah.
3: I wouldn't. So, you know, in some respects, this feels as though um, your leaving was supposed to happen. Because I think he felt, I can't, on some level, maybe even allow this to be as successful as it could be. I would lose something very important to me. That was
4: already happening.
3: It was already happening. Really? Yes. It it was happening before he was there. I mean, there was many things going on at the time, but I think that he didn't expect this record to be as good as it was. He didn't expect it to be where it was going to go. And I think you solidified by you leaving the thing he may have wanted from the beginning, which is I don't want this thing to go anywhere because I'm going to lose her.
2: Right. Wow. So. Oh. That- and of course I had no idea of any of that was going on at all. And this is what's was a lot
0: of heavy stuff going on, bro. Trust me. <laughs>
2: if, if the project had continued, it would have
4: continued without you. Suze. In that that's role, yeah, yeah, mm.
0: and, and and you know, and Sue, Sue, sis, I kind of sensed that at First Avenue, because I remember oh, when we yeah. did the one show at First Avenue. You know, he had you in tears for a little bit there, so I remember that. So,
3: well, he, 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 you know, he, he'd asked me to do some things that compromised my myself as an as an artist. Right, as yeah, an, yeah,
0: yeah, he, yeah,
3: yeah. Recording a re- record, he. He asked of me to be something I absolutely wasn't.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah.
3: Misunderstood track is, an, is a perfect example of that, where he wanted me to, to sing in a way that that's not my vocal style. I knew how to be a background singer. I knew how to mimic perfectly, but to actually embody Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe in a vocal and then have that be what he wanted me to be in this band was yeah. because yeah. it's not my style. That's you, yeah, How I express myself, right? The singer, but all the other stuff. I mean, nothing compares to you. Is a is how I sing.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for yeah. me
3: to go into going to do a nothing compare. I mean, to misunderstood. It was like anathema to the uh, to the sequence and to the to the environment of this record. So that was just one example of like. I think he. He, you know, I, I think. He was he was designing some conflict.
4: Well we we know that Prince's entire life for him is a movie. And the movie might be a different movie from time to time, but at that point in regards to everything you're saying, the movie Suze that you were in right then with him was Citizen Kane.
0: Mm. Wow. Ooh.
4: You know. And
3: Word in the Gilded Cage is definitely...
4: Well, yeah. Yeah, that could, you know. blood. Yeah. Look, the project was not going to last. Because first of all, the nature of these projects have a built-in shelf life. I remember, Paul, you telling me that in your conversation with Prince... And you were telling Prince, you know, your concerns. And and I believe you said that one of the things you said to him is no one is the only person that is going to have any control over this is you. And you're off making a movie and you've got other things that you're involved in. And you don't have the ability to be able to control everything that needs to be controlled. I think you told me that he said, oh, no, I can do that. I did it with the time. Well, no, he didn't do it with the time. Very the only reason the family began was because he lost control of the time. The
0: time, exactly.
4: And the fact preach, that... Preach, preach. Yep. And the fact that the whole contractual issue between us as, as you know, the deal was gonna, was basically a production deal.
5: Right. That's right. right. You know. Yeah.
4: Now, yeah. Th- my, my own opinion, and, and, and there are pros and cons of this, my own opinion was that it would have been better for everybody him and us, if it, the whole thing, if the whole nature of what the project was supposed to be was much more honest and
2: upfront. Because basically, we were Menudo. Wow. I never really thought, thought of myself like that.
4: that. <laughs> yeah, no, from, from the contractual standpoint, he owns the name, yeah. owns the whole thing yeah are, he
2: reminded me yeah, of now, that about 10 years, years ago. ago
4: absolutely and you know something there's nothing wrong with that right if you're upfront right. about it you come to us he comes to us and says i have a project this is mine everything that happens musically and artistically is going to be my vision you are in my movie you are playing the roles i have hired you and Sue's paul to be the co-leads eric this is your role being jerome right. et etc." And this is what I will pay you to do this. Right. If you're interested, let me know. Right. In yeah. other words, we should have been signed to an employment agreement. Right. From the jail. Yeah. From the and, get. So,
3: and that's so interesting you say that because in my, in my mind, and what I've always said, is that he had these really brilliant musicians. How could he possibly just want them for hire? How could, you know, like, it never occurred to me that he wouldn't allow this band to flourish as the musicians as it was. But in actuality, we were just hired to do yeah. musicians.
5: Yeah.
4: He, right. he, he said something in a rehearsal once one day where he was frustrated about this, that, or the other. It was just one of his moods. And he said to us, you guys are going to have to be the ones to come up with the next album, you know. Now, with all due respect.
3: Years later, we did.
4: Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, I'm I'm thinking at that point, I said, look, I'm not a pop songwriter. I'm just a saxophone player. This music I write is jazz. And said, okay, maybe I don't know anything about your creative abilities, Paul's, yours, Sue's, or anybody. Mm -hmm. All I know is that you're the singers in this band. And I'm thinking, okay, I have no reason to assume or presume that anybody in this band does or does not have an ability to write some music that might have some value. I didn't know that. I did not know that.
5: You didn't know but, that.
4: Yeah. Now, um, the, the composers, particularly in writers that, that Suze, you and Paul, have, have developed into, I doubt that's what you were when you were 19 or 20 years old. You know. No. You you you, you, you know, which didn't mean that you didn't have something to offer then. But right. I'm thinking, but we we all knew Prince at that point. Only one of two things was going to happen. If people in the group, any of us, had come up with some music that really did have some value, that wasn't going to be on the next record. It
3: wasn't. You're saying it wasn't going to be on that record. Hell no. No, 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 no. That wasn't the plan. Well, look, you Prince was, right right.
4: was just always telling that to pump us up to want to make us think that we had value in ways mm-hmm. that were going to be more than than and once mm-hmm. again, there is nothing wrong with the whole idea of what he was trying to do because it worked right I mean if you look at at the at the product that was coming out of it and he had the ability to conti- to do that at the drop of a hat, but the yeah. problem is. Is the 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 perspective?
3: Let me just yeah. add to that, though. I I have to I have to stick up for us as a unit a little bit here. Although yeah. Just because the the there was so there was a lot of value, um, and there was artistic value. The record mm-hmm. wouldn't be what it is if it didn't have us as the major players. No, no. the. You know, he's sort of the master of commander, but you can't run that ship without the proper players in it.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. He saw the individual value in us and how to take advantage it was, of it. Yeah. You know,
3: it, it wouldn't have sounded that way had 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 David not been, you know, our engineer and producer of that record. But I'm at the same time, you know, Prince had elevated the, his, his songwriting for this one because mm-hmm. he knew who he was dealing with to, 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 to convey this musical message of his, right? The family. These players were specific for this record. So I have to feel a little bit, you know, it was only one record, but I do feel uh, uh, that it's a, an important record to me, not because I wrote it, but because I definitely knew how to add what he was looking for. I knew how to find my individuality within what he was asking me to do. I knew that it was important for me to be an individual on this record. I knew that Paul had his thing. I mean, you can't have a, a, a guy like you, Paul, as talented and in multi, multifaceted in so many ways and not have brought something so important to this, which you did. And Eric, there's no, you can't be this player. And get on this record you can't be that guy and just be an arbitrary sax player coming on you know a saxophone player like let's just hire this guy and have him do you know like it just yeah. doesn't work we had something that worked i don't think yeah. he was prepared for it to work as well as it did
4: yeah well i i remember asking when when a- after you know it everything was basically done um yeah. and paul had left and and the week after that, I flew back to Nice um, to be a part of the video that yeah. we were going to do for uh, mm-hmm. "Song Girls and Boys." Mm-hmm. And the day that I got in, I was at, this, at the movie studios in the in the commissary, sitting at a, at a, at a booth with Prince and 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 Su- and, Suze. and um, it had already been pretty much in. You know, Alan had basically already said. The, the, the plan right now is that he's going to expand the revolution and you're going to, he's just going to ask you to join the band. Wow. And anyway, but I asked Prince, I said, have you considered just replacing Paul? Hmm. And he, he said, no, no. Oh. And
3: he said yeah. that he actually come to me, Prince, at that time. And I know you had that conversation. He was like, do you want to put this band back together again without Paul? And I said, no,
5: mm. yeah.
3: not yeah. really I'm called to be that guy. Yeah, you know, Like it's just what, that's what this is. Yeah. And he was like, agreed.
2: Okay. So let me sum it up because this could be a five hour podcast. Here's what I'm going to do. Bean, you went on to work with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, incredible career. Susanna, you went on to write and, and do so many different things. and uh uh, super super successful successful at uh, everything everything that you did eric Leeds. you went on to join uh uh, the the revolution Revolution and at that and and have continued to work so So we all had different careers i did my solo artist thing what i'm trying to do is fast forward we were stayed in touch for all these years your brother when the death of your brother eric and i remember flying out with you for jonathan's funeral so we, I think one of the byproducts that Prince didn't really understand about this is that we became tight, even after I split. And I thought for sure that that would end everything. But you guys didn't do that to me, which I was amazed and astonished. And and uh, it was a learning lesson. It was a lesson, life lesson for me. So here we are. We're friends. I've done gigs with the... Uh, With with Bean, you know, at Bunkers and things things like that. that. Hit and miss with Eric and Susanna. You and I didn't really do a lot of stuff together during that period. Sheila E. calls a reunion of the family for her Little Bunny Foundation. I believe it was the first time that we were going to get back together. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay, so we all show up at the forum, or we show up at the rehearsal hall, and, and it was Unbelievable. And we all looked at each other like, twenty-five years after the fact, it was like, "What is happening here?" We did the performance. We all looked at each other and went, "We have to tour." We were going to put that together, and I think Shield was trying to put something together. And uh, didn't you find out you were pregnant, Susanna?
3: I found out I was pregnant shortly thereafter. I was three months pregnant when we were right. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know because you know, us ladies sometimes we don't know your monthly.
2: <laughs> so so that's that seed is planted.
3: He didn't know
2: that seed right. is planted in more ways than one. When,
4: when <laughs> Questlove asked us a couple of years after that to come out and do that uh Grammy party for him,
2: that's right. With Questlove, by the way, he sends his love and wanted to come on uh the podcast just to give uh, you know tell, tell everybody hello and how much he you all mean to him. And He was interviewing. Slies stone today, so he couldn't come on. So, but yes, we did that other reunion, and then we looked at each other and went, we got to do a record. So then we started on working on this record. And I hadn't been writing with you, Susanna, and that's who the you and I were gonna be the main writers. Eric, I remember you telling me something about this reunion. We were all game for it, but you were like, let, Let me hear what the music sounds, sounds like, like friend, right? I mean, tell me, me a little bit about that. About
4: that. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, 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 I'm on to the next. <laughs> I mean, you know, love music, but it's like, what do you got, What you know, what do you got for me today? Yeah. Um, and once again, um, knowing that you're a wonderful musician, but once again, I had no way or knowing what, you would come up with. Right. right. And nor did you and I, Susanna. Yeah, and, and my only comment was if all it's gonna be is just a family album redux, um,
2: I'm not interested. Yeah.
4: Right. Yeah. And, part- and you know, the, the, the first couple songs that I heard was like, all right, this 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 is this is cool. This is this is, you know, once again it's incremental. Um, but it was yeah. Let's see, see where this continues. And by the time we were, you know, by the time maybe you had five or six songs, it was like I was just like really, really just impressed. And I said, you know, um, I'm, I'm, you know, this is, this is, this is cool.
2: Yeah. And we had asked Jerome to. I'm sorry, Susanna. Go ahead. We. Can.
3: No, I was just, I was so, I was so honored that, you know, that because it was so important that you felt that you could be, you could see yourself on it, that you could play on it. And I remember telling you about Gaslight and sending you Gaslight. I think it was Gaslight that you did first, or was it Over the Canyon?
4: Actually, the first song I think was that I got from Paul was Sanctified. Oh. Yeah. Okay.
3: yeah. But, I, you know, I just, I was like, like I'm so happy that you know when when you when you did your parts, we were like, "Oh my god, this is fucking
5: great!" <laughs> you,
4: you know. no, yeah, no, but I mean, it was it was it was something that I you know something that either either something that that is easy for me to do that just really works. But more important than that, sometimes it gives me an opportunity to like say, "Okay," um, and come up with this, try to come up with something a little different.
2: <laughs> so let me let me just interject this and. Uh, we asked Jerome to be a part of F to Lux at that time, and he decided uh, that he didn't want to do that, which was totally cool. We all were really cool with each other going, Bean, is this something you want to do? Uh, Eric, is this something you want to do? And we were feeling each other out, and you guys said yes, and Jerome decided against it. So if those of you who are watching this, that's why Jerome's not here. This is about the unit that decided to continue on making music so we love you jerome and uh you know you're a huge part of the family there's no denying that but back to the writing of that record Susanna. you and i you know you're my sister in in more ways than one i mean you and i come from musical backgrounds we have a lot of similarities i'm hard-headed did you know that
3: no no i have not. it's for news to (laughs) me
2: you're (laughs) hard-headed And you know, we had our moments. We had our moments on that record, and I'm like, I will kill her. I will strangle her. And I'm sure you felt the exact same way. Now, th- for those of you who don't know, I was living in your garage. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. You felt more that way than yeah. I did. You felt more with me than I felt with you because I'm so used to. I'm so used to people, and when I'm in the studio and writing, and Eric knows about me. That I speak in metaphor when I'm when I'm writing music, and I speak in a very sort of a synesthetic synesth- synesth- kind of way. Like right. I like more blues, more greens. Can you get this a little cooler? It needs, you know. And you're like, what the fuck kind of language are you? Using? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Where's <laughs> the baby? I want to love you, and in- no, I'm just kidding.
3: Yeah, like you know, and you just were like, okay, I don't get the way, but you did eventually get it, and when you got it think that there was a moment where you and I would look at each other and go like,
2: "Whoa!" It? There yeah, it just it, it just took time, time and things things, things do, do take, take time.
3: time. Right, so, right, Eric. I mean, you know that about me.
2: No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, ga- and gaslight is born.
4: No, look, look, look. There's a, there's there's a scene in an old, and there's a scene. That this this hour is this is how between. Between Susan and Paul, there's a, there's there's a scene in an old movie that dates back years called Mr. Blandings Buys a Dream House, starring Cary Grant and Myrna Loy. Where people don't, young people know who they were, but there's a scene where Myrna Loy, the, the housewife, they got their new house, and she's got the decorator, and she's telling the decorator, "I need this room painted blue, but not an egg blue, a sky blue, you know, everything, just detail. Everything's like that." The orange can't be this orange. It has to be the orange like a pumpkin. The red can't be this red, <coughs> blah, blah, blah. And the pen the, the jack raider looks at his assistant and says, that room's white, that room's red, that room's orange.
2: <laughs> Pretty much.
4: Yeah, and that's how you finally, you know.
2: And but, Bina, how do you think that record turned out, man, for, for, our, uh, for our sophomore, what would you call it, a sophomore record, or would you call it the rebirth of? I would call it something new. Because this was all your music. That's true. What do you think, Bean? What did you think of that record?
0: I was impressed. I was impressed. I was, you know, when you gave me the tracks and stuff to listen to and different things, I was impressed, man. It just seemed like we just continued from where uh, the first family record was. you know. And I thought you and Sue did a great job of coming up and getting the essence of what we did 30 years prior. So I was impressed, man.
3: We definitely kept all that in mind. I mean, we knew that we were coming with a second record from that first record. Yeah.
5: Yeah.
3: It was important that we that we we lead with with it. not lead with it, but I, I do believe that we had to have a we had to have a line to it. We couldn't just cut the line and just offer this new record that nobody would have any understanding of what we were trying to do. I mean, we specifically exactly with the synthesizers to emulate what we were doing with Claire, although we did have Brent do a few things on it. We couldn't do the whole record orchestrated because it, it's a lot of money to orchestrate a record like that and have a, you know, and record yeah, it. I
2: orchestrated that reggae. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: Paul, the, the, first, the first tune you sent me was Lover, and I'm like, I it just, it floored me. I was I was so impressed with that, man. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: Lover should be released again. That's
2: (laughs) it's a beautiful song. Well, let's let's talk a little bit. I'm kind of glazing over this because I want to let you go. Yeah. What's what's next? I know you got a little doggy issue. So, what's next for the family, you guys? What's next for F Deluxe? I'm asking for because I want to know. Now, what do we do?
3: (laughs) I find it really difficult to write for me um, right now. uh, I can, I, I've been writing uh, poetry a lot like a lot of words and stuff just because I journal a lot, but um, what this thing's got to come, this thing's got to get over. And then once that's over, I think that we get, we've got to talk about it. Although, you know, it's like, it's such a weird time. It's like, you know, Susan said it perfectly. You know, it's, there was, there's such a youth culture in music and, we may not fit into that particular thing. And the older we get, we become further removed from what, you know, what TikTokers are doing, what like, you know, what, in, what social media is about. Like we will be on the outside of all of it. And it's difficult to sort of find your place, particularly with everything that's going on in the environment. And our industry has just collapsed because of it. And it was collapsed before because music mm-hmm. doesn't sell. just music just doesn't sell. Our craft, the tools that we come to the table with, do not sell. So we have to find all this other way of offering the world um, who we are. And now we're getting to that age where it's it gets tougher and tougher. It just it just does. It's so unfortunate in so many ways that. Our art could get lost here. Uh, You know, this could become, you know, a distant past expression of of art. And I don't know how we're going to come out of this. It would be so amazing if we could actually write music and have it be heard and have it be a a livelihood or have it be something that sustains us creatively. I just, right now, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Before I forget, I, I do want to give some credit where credit is due, and uh, Oliver Lieber was a great producer for us on a few tracks on uh, the AM Static record, and he also produced Sanctified, and he also played in. He plays in F Deluxe. Got to give him some love. Oh, absolutely! He's a bad man. He's a really bad man. And then our players, everywhere from nephew Jason, Mario Dawson. Uh, Pitar, Brian Zimniak, uh, Bill Brown. Who am I forgetting? Huh?
3: Charlie Drayton.
2: Charlie Drayton on the record. Oh, Tom Tucker, who mixed it, of course. I mean, there, uh, and I'm going to forget people, but our manager, Neil Richards. I knew it. Neil Richards, I got it. He just recently retired from the business. I don't even know if you guys know that.
5: No, oh. I didn't. So we knew need- Neil
2: retired from the business, and uh, he was instrumental in getting us gigs all over the world. Oh yeah, and was our champion, and was my champion for years, and we owe him a, probably the biggest uh, debt of gratitude for everything that he did for us.
4: A- we, we we owe it a little bit to uh, my brother Alan. Yes,
2: yes we do. Alan yes, was the, do. the
4: one when we when after we did that gig with uh, for Questlove. And we actually then said, is there a market for us to, you know, at that point, basically, is there a market where just we could go out and, and do a few weeks, weeks, a gig a year, just playing family stuff? And we asked Alan to kind of look and see if the market existed. And it was Alan basically came back and said, look, the unfortunate reality is, is that venue, venue owners and, and promoters, um, they're too young they don't know who you guys are unless yeah. we remind them. And they said, Oh, that was oh, okay. Fine. But the first thing that they all said is what are they doing now? They got a new record. Right. And that yep. was one of the primary incentives to do a new record back in the studio. that right. that, that, "That Okay. If we're going to, if there's anything here to, you know,
3: yeah, and there wasn't an the boss or heard it. We're like, okay, they've got some, you know, and we do, I can't say they is this in the past. I mean, there's a, there's a, A burning desire that you hear. You don't hear dead people in that record. You
4: don't hear like no. I mean, basically, it comes down to we are all adults. So, by the very nature of what we do, we make adult music. Which doesn't mean that younger people can't relate to it. But the thing, unfortunate thing that is, Susie's, you know, expressed um, so accurately is is that the nature of the business has changed so many years that it is extremely difficult to get our music in front of those people that might actually relate Taylor. to it. Right. Yeah. You know, exactly. and, and the fact Absolutely. that those, look, it, it's like, they're all like me, you know, I, I don't seek out new music any longer, basically because all the music that I want to listen to, I've got. Yeah, and I can listen to younger people <laughs> yeah. make music and, and it might be cool but I mean from my perspective I've heard it all before yeah. you know so the thing is is that so many people that are our age that would probably relate to what they're not seeking music out either somehow you've got to get in in front of them and remind them hey there's some people out there that can make music that you can relate to today Right. and that's, that's been the challenge and, and it's, it's extraordinarily difficult to be able right. to Yeah. You know.
2: So there's a, I posed a question to some of the people who, who, who sign up for the podcast, and they, they are all excited, first of all, to see us uh, reminiscing. And second of all, they want to know, are we going to tour? Well, there is no touring now, obviously, but uh, they're wondering if we're touring the 35th anniversary of the record, will we play it in its entirety? No. Well, I don't know. That's a tough We haven't discussed it, so I don't know. It's basically up to them. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, Something I mean,
4: up. it's almost at the point now because knowing the economics of it, it's, it's, it's just, you almost got to say, you know, if you, if you want us to come to your city, uh, send us money now. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> money so we can eat in order to live long enough to play the family record line. Exactly. Like, you know, pre sales. Yeah. So yeah, he, let me also before I let you go because it's called Music on the Run. We talk about fitness and health, and how you stand so good looking, Eric, after all these years. Mm-hmm. You, I know you're a biker, aren't you? You, that's what you like doing.
4: Um, I'm not. A, I'm a recreational biker. I mean, I've been out for maybe you know the summer, maybe 200 miles. You know, I'm a comfort biker.
2: Got it. Yeah, hey, Shelley Bean, you are. a... But I like to ride. Yeah. I mean, you're a daily biker.
0: Yeah, two to three hours a day. Yeah. That's that wow. serious.
2: Yeah. That's great. Well, you've, you've dropped a lot of weight, I mean, in the last 10 years. Uh, are you on a road bike? Huh? Are you on a road bike or are you on a, what kind of bike you on?
0: Just, I just have like a city bike. The first time I lost 100 pounds, man, it was indoors. I was riding indoors for 90 minutes, you know, at my gym. But now in recent years, it's been outside. I like outside better. Yeah. You know I still yeah. I still have a gym membership but I I like riding, you know, the bike paths and different things outside.
2: So you just go for a ride for 2 hours and that that, that calms your brain down and all that?
0: Yeah. Well, Paul, I, I lead a stressful life, man. I, you know. I know I, you do. You know, <laughs> there's another band that we won't mention here that I've been through, <laughs> been through it, man, and I am still going through it and so Yeah. Uh so that bike riding helps me manage that and then you have a family life i have kids and stuff yep. like that so right i just deal with it you know and you and you, you you're constantly chasing the dollar and now it's hot even harder now so it's mm. you know it's got to do something to, to keep your sanity and then we, we won't even talk about the pandemic and the civil unrest that's going on right now
2: so yeah. that's a whole nother podcast that we should talk about and i've been talking to every one of my guests who come on this show but we're too, at hour two right now, so uh, yeah, I yeah. But we, 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 I, I'm serious. We should talk about the Susanna. We, when you went away, we were just uh, talking a little bit about what uh, music on the run is all about, and that's about how you stay healthy and how you've been able to stay as young and beautiful as you are, my dear, all these years. Um,
3: I am an avid yogi, <laughs> yogini, as they say.
2: Yogi, yogi. I've been,
3: do- yeah, I've been doing my uh, yoga practice for. 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. That'll do
0: it. That'll do it.
3: I'm I'm not perfect at it by any means, but I'm committed to it. So, and the pandemic has forced me to, to do work that I haven't done. Um, because of all the distractions of just being in life and being outside and going from point A to point B, but being home, um, I have a, a very specific routine, that keeps me um, at least calmer and more f- yeah. I guess more present than had I not had it so it's important that I have it I mean i couldn't ha- I couldn't have gone through what I went through with my mother's passing of this yeah. Yeah. horrible virus and well, yeah. raising new kids okay. on my own and you know living in an area that is So it's, I mean, I, 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 it's so interesting to be in an area that's, that that is hostile and the environment is hostile. And then, you know, there's a belief system that's very different than mine that where I live it's, it's complicated and it's difficult. And I am, you know, I'm a, a peaceful warrior at heart. And this whole thing that we're all going through together collectively has put a pause button on how I deal with stuff. So it's okay. a good thing, but it's also, you know, you know, unexpected. But, so that's what I do and always have. I've always, right. always been, it's just more now. I mean, I'm in my yoga room now where I have, I spend a lot of times during my day when I'm not doing mommy stuff or regular things that have to keep me throughout my day and walk, because I, I do work as well. But this has helped me dramatically. If I didn't have it, I wouldn't.
2: Yeah.
3: Although, you know, I'm older. I'm not going to deny it. <laughs> it is what it
2: is. You look great. You guys, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to come on. I miss you. And this was good for my soul to see and hear you and, and, and talk about, uh, you know, uh, our hang that we've had for the last 35 years.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey. We we'll each other and we'll be with each other again and 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 we'll find our way through this somehow. or At least even if we get to play music together, just playing music
0: yeah. is yeah. Yeah. Is what we do. Music is
2: healing. Yeah. Yes it is.
3: So and it's what it's it's how we're wired. You know. Yeah.
2: That's, Absolutely. You, know,
3: you can ask you know you know who's an architect to go all of a sudden go be a bass player like right. just, you know so we are musicians and artists it's what we do so we have to be able to eventually do that again because it's what we are um yep. but it's just figuring out how do we do that and you know keep roofs over our head and put food right. on the table
0: yeah yeah, we have yeah. health
3: insurance for the rest of our fucking lives, hopefully yeah. that we're yeah.
0: Exactly. The struggle is real. struggle is real. You know yes. what I'm
3: We yeah. have to be healthy and strong for the children. We have to be healthy and strong, hopefully, for our lives because at this point, we don't know what we have to make sure that our, you know, however long we have, things are going to be okay. It's just all of it is so layered and you know we have to, you know, yeah.
2: keep each other. And remember to vote. Vote, vote. To please, vote. preach, <laughs> vote for the love of God. Oh, oh God. my God! <laughs> please, we're not going there. I love y'all. This is music on the run, episode twenty-two with my 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 real family. I love you all so much. We will see you guys in a couple of weeks. Peace. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, Davide Razo. Video editing by Ivan Sebastianov. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember, nothing compares to you.